give you like a lot of chocolate. And welcome to the Sound of Football podcast. I'm Graham Sibley, and as ever, I'm joined by Jan Bilton. Hello. And Terry DeFellon. Hello. Yep, Terry and I have managed to occupy the same space again. <laughs> it was a bit fraught on Saturday, I suppose. Super tense. We stayed and watched Whiteleaf and made up over that, didn't we, Terry? Absolutely, yeah. No, it's uh, it was it was fine. I know, you know, it's 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 an old story, Graham. Yeah, I mean, this time last year, of course, Palace went to Arsenal two days after they sacked Patrick Vieira and before they reappointed Roy Hodgson. But that was actually Arsenal's first win, I think, at the fourth go against Palace at the Emirates. So it's not been the way that games have been going between uh, Arsenal and Palace up until a certain point. But yeah, it was it was pretty straightforward. And well, what do you think then, Terry? Is Is Hodgson's time up? I mean, he's only got a few more weeks to do anyway, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, I suppose it, it, the issue is whether or not there's a concern that Palace will be relegated if Hodgson stays as the coach. And if the feeling is, is they won't be relegated, then I think that they will see it through and keep him in post. It's been a rotten few weeks, but it is also worth pointing out that we've had narrow defeats to good sides. Ah, I'd still class Chelsea as a good side, but a narrow defeat to Liverpool could could conceivably have gone differently. But a good win against Brentford at a good point against Manchester City. And it, it's really like the Everton Cup exit coupled with this latest performance that just you set people off again. It doesn't take much. I think Palace fans at the moment just got such short views now that it, it doesn't take long for them to forget that actually, you know, in general, I'd say you know, they've not been that bad. I mean, they're a completely different side without Elise and Eze on the pitch. I mean, they're just absolute dog poo without those guys. They're just, it's such a, such a difference between the two and that it is depressing to watch and, and it's predictable as well. This could have been, this was predicted. I'm so, I feel certain that somebody sensible said that the last 10 games of last season under Hodgson were great because he had Zaha, Eze and Elise and he just chucked the kitchen sink at it and they got the points that they needed to get over the line. It was a pretty easy thing. And it was a wonderful send-off for a coach who's done a great job with, with, with us keeping stability in the club. And it was a good way of sending him off because his last departure was in COVID certain circumstances and it was all a bit grim. And by, but by hiring for a second season, this was always going to happen. We were going to get hodgeball and it was going to be poor. And and, and the, th- the fact that it's so predictable and the fact that they went ahead and did it anyway, you know, calls into question the, du- the judgment of the of the owners. It calls directly into question S- Steve Parrish's judgment. We could go back to Sound of Footballs all the way back in time about Steve Parrish's judgment when it comes to recruiting managers. He lacks imagination. I like Roy Hodgson and I don't want to see him get sacked. But another reason why I don't want to get him see him get sacked is because I've got no faith whatsoever that whoever replaces him will be the correct choice. There you go. Let's put that one down. I don't think there's any more conversation to have about that one, is there, Jan? But, but Jan, it's not going so great amongst Sunderland fans, is it? I mean, well, come on, what, two games in a row? I mean, that's not too bad, is it? You know, in terms of our uh, staying in the division we're in, 
we certainly don't think they were going to go up after um, the recent run of form, but we're certainly going to drop out of it. So it's not that similar to Palace's situation. But certainly since we brought in Michael Beale, which I think it's fair to say that the fan base was underwhelmed by, uh, and I include myself in that number, the discontent has been growing. He's only had seven games in charge, which isn't too many games. But what surprised me, not being up in the area at the moment, certainly not being at, uh, in attendance at the game on Friday at home to Hull, was just how quickly the fans had turned. I mean, I, I was feeling a bit kind of um, frustrated with his appointment, frustrated with the, the results, clearly, and, and the performances that I'd watched. But I, certainly the fans up there, some of the friends I've got up there and, and people that, you know, in, in our line of work and, and writers as well and some of the fanzines, have I wouldn't say snap, but I think they've got to a boiling point now where the it feels like the overwhelming feeling uh, amongst some of the fan groups is that he just has to go seven games in, which for a, a neutral, they would say that was fairly impatient. But I mean, I watched the Hull game on Friday night with a friend of mine and it was embarrassing. It was really embarrassing to have the ball that much and not actually carve out any kind of clear cut chances really. And, you know, Hull just dug in and, and came away with a point. And it just feels like we've gone from a, the model that the ownership talk about a lot, that's really good at bringing through young players uh, that we had with Mowbray. We've got to somebody who's just, you can just see that the players just did not look like that they were at the races and just didn't want to work for him. That's what I was seeing. And that was on a TV screen. And that's what people were, were feeling that they were there at the, at the game and, and people were leaving early. And it, it just feels really, really turgid there at the moment. And, and people are making um, comparisons that when Phil Parkinson was brought in, I, I know he's a bit more popular now if you're in North Wales, but certainly he's not very popular um, and wasn't very popular in Sunderland. So yeah, I, I hate to kind of to add to the depression that's that's growing across uh, the, our subject matter today, but it, it just feels like a really bad time at Sunderland. You add to that the stuff that happened with the Newcastle game, with the uh, the season ticket holders being you know turfed out of their seats, and then what happened with the, the Black Cats bar and things like that. It just feels like the, the the fans are now just going, well, you know, we haven't got the right man in. It feels like the director of football, Christian Speakman, hasn't, hasn't got his head screwed on rightly with this one. It feels like the owner who apparently signed off for the whole Black Cats thing hasn't got it right either. So there's just, there's just a lot of bad shit happening at Sunderland. And I think that the next home game, if they, they lose that one, which is the, the next actual game as well, which is at, um, at home to Hull, uh, sorry, which is at home to Stoke, I think that if uh, if that one goes badly, then it, it's going to be a pretty toxic place to be, the stadium aligned with 40,000 people not happy. that That's not going to be a nice place to be, certainly for the players who up until a few few weeks ago, really, I thought were playing quite well and, and doing quite well in the Mulberry. So, um, so yeah, not a great time in the northeast mm, right. um, it's probably worth just saying graham if i may very quickly yeah, sure, interject sure. um um if, if we talk about toxic stadiums uh, palace are at home to sheffield united in the next game mm. so yeah you know, things could get pretty ugly if that goes badly mm. and then the next the one after that it's down to falmer and the annex to play brighton oh. i'd say these are two absolutely key and we must get at least four points from those two, well, we have to win, and then a draw. I think will be satisfactory at the Amex. At Brighton, are a very good side, mm. but I mean, I think that you know anything less than that, and it, it's pitchforks time. Mm. Pitchforks, yes, you heard it here, listeners, and 
I've lived a long time around Croydon, and I, I can tell you, they know where to find a pitchfork when they need one. Uh, yeah. I mean, technically speaking, it's not pitchfork territory, but you'd be surprising how rural Croydon can be, actually. So yeah, they're not too difficult to, to find. Uh, of course, Arsenal did have a good win, which did buck a trend, but hasn't really convinced me that they've turned a corner. They just beat a side that look very, very damaged at the moment. Their next game is going to be against Forest, which I think is going to be a very interesting uh, encounter indeed away. Interesting test for Nuno there as well, just to see what sort of shape Forest really are in after his new manager bounce came to an end at the weekend. Another problem about this time of year is, especially with Premier League clubs, is that because of this winter break, it has stretched things out a bit. And I know Arsenal aren't playing this weekend, and neither are Palace, are they? Um, because we got dumped out of the FA Cup. Luckily, there is a round of midweek fixtures coming up straight afterwards, so it's only a couple of days away. So there is that whole feeling that the games around this time of year that, that you normally anticipate coming thick and fast aren't coming thick and fast. And so whenever things go bad, you do get time to stew on it. And of course, time of year and everything like that. Uh, we didn't talk about Blue Monday last week, but it feels like Blue Monday's happening this week, I think. <laughs> I don't think you're too far away from it, Graham, the way that we started this off. If anybody's still listening, <laughs> it is only football, but it, it does matter. It does matter to people. Um, and when you've paid out money and, you, and, you've, and you've got you know a whole season ahead of you or even half a season ahead of you, when you've got hopes and, and expectations and it just doesn't deliver, then you've got to call it a question, I think, with both Palace and Sunderland, how they're being, how they're being run. I think that's why they have the January transfer window, just to get people more excited again. But there's been so little business going around. So few clubs are buying. And I, and I wonder whether or not that's got anything to do with how, especially in the Premier League, how heavy-handed the Premier League or how now they've got to be seen to be doing the right thing to clubs who have been spending. And I think there's quite a lot of clubs out there who are thinking, well, actually, we can't actually spend too much without letting someone else go at the moment. I definitely think that's the case with Arsenal at the moment. I think there's lots of talk about them um, signing a new striker. Ivan Tony, obviously came back at the weekend and scored for Brentford. Why Brentford would want to get rid of him, I don't know. So they would obviously have to drive a truck full of money over to Brentford to try and lure him away. And I think the thing is they've spent so much money, then I'm sure they're good for it. But if clubs are getting in trouble for not balancing the books, then there's not going to be any excuse for going over budget, is there, Terry? No, absolutely. And I think, well, I mean, I'm not ITK, but I mean, that Tony deal suggests that that's a bit optimistic for a January, even at the best of times. Yeah. But I think you're absolutely right. This is all to do with the latest squeeze on financial sustainability. I think what we can say is that clubs clearly feel that the Premier League are in no mood to be tolerant of breaches of financial sustainability rules and they don't want to get themselves caught up in, in anything. And even the big clubs, because they don't want to suffer points deductions and the toxicity and possibly even legal battle that goes with them. So, yeah, they're probably all being a bit conservative. Arsenal's case, of course, I think there are players that I think they would like to see go. But, yeah, again, if there's no one buying, go back briefly to Palace. I think that like, Eddie Nketiah has been a name that's been linked with Palace quite a lot. I don't know how realistic that really is. But I wouldn't know, wouldn't have thought that that lad would go to Crystal Palace for anything other than a very short-term deal, for example. That seems very unlikely. And what Calvin Phillips must think is, is another thing as well. So you've got all of that going on too. Clubs not necessarily in a great position to sign because they can't attract good players. And then, yeah, of course, clubs are also they're worried about financial sustainability. So, so in between the two of those, you've got a bit of a frozen marketplace. 
I'm sure come deadline day, Sky Sports will just have just enough content to scrape together a you know a couple of hours in the evening to make it fun and exciting. But uh, yeah, you never know. There might be a, one big headline deal to be done. Well, you said the, what's the big one of the biggest deals that's been done is Eric Dyer going to Bayern Munich. <laughs> Read into that what you will. Uh, that was a strange one, though, don't you think? Is that Harry Kane who's like saying, "Can I have a mate? Can I have a mate? Yeah, I need a mate. I need a chum." But you I think that I said, "Though, have you got any other mates, Harry?" But you know, <laughs> <laughs> well, is it is this a is this a bit of a rebuff to Muller? I mean, like, like he's probably saying, "Look, Tom, um, I just need a bit of my own space." You know, <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Could, I mean, I mean, English is the lingua franca in the in the Bayern dressing room, so he shouldn't have any communications issues. You know, uh, 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 Harry. I mean, and all <laughs> judging by the evidence, I mean, notwithstanding the last, you know, yesterday's result, it's a fantastic win for Werder Bremen, by the way, at the Allianz. Amazing stuff. But notwithstanding that, he has clearly had no trouble settling in on the pitch. But I wonder if Thomas Tuchel's had something to do with this, maybe. Maybe Thomas Tuchel's has looked at Dyer and said, actually, there's a quality player there. And really, he is just there to back up, really. You know, so I don't think he's necessarily he's not going in straight into the first team. But that is a peculiar world that we live in that Eric Dyer signs for Bayern Munich. I wouldn't be surprised if he does great over there. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a farmer's league, isn't it, Graham? I mean, like, you know, why not, eh? Yeah. You and I could go over there and we could do a job for Bolcom, I would think. Bring our boots. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I think you're right. I think he's a possibility that his career's got a bit spursy. And that, 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 I mean, he was a quality player and a long-standing England international. I mean, I've got quite a lot of time for the guy. It's just, just I, I, don't, I don't mean to throw shade on Eric Dyer. I just feel it's an odd signing. I mean, it's just not something you expect. It's not a player you imagine Bayern Munich signing. But we increasingly live in a strange world. Yeah, he didn't actually get on the pitch, did he? No. For the defeat, the home defeat Indeed. to Werder Bremen. And if you haven't been paying attention to the Bundesliga for the last, well, 15, 20 years, Werder Bremen are not the sort of like Champions League chasing side that they were. No, they last won at the Allianz in 2009. Yeah, so there you go. That's so, so big deal, big deal. And I'm sure that was the biggest headline in Germany, wasn't it, over the weekend? Probably knocked all the stories of chocolate coins off the back pages, didn't it? I would imagine so, yeah. I mean, I've not checked the front power of builds, but yeah, I know they don't tend to go for that kind of off-the-field stuff too much anyway. The expectation now is a Bayern is supposed to be going on a tear, and this has not happened. And um, Leverkusen winning again and again in the last minute. Props to Nathan Teller, England's Nathan Teller. Scores again, made the trip over, went, spent last season in Burnley, did well, back to Southampton, gets 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 put, picked up by Leverkusen, presumably is a Europa League player. But of course, with Victor Boniface now gone for a, quite a few weeks now, he's stepping up. And Leverkusen still nudging ahead. The Bayern have got a game in hand. And that game is against Union Berlin. You'd think that they would win that game. But yeah, I mean, like we're all expecting Bayern to go on a tear and, and buy Leverkusen to suffer from injuries and AFCON problems. But so far, they keep winning. Who knows? It could happen. Whether or not it's genuinely desirable for Bayer Leverkusen to win a title, that is another question, which I'm happy to answer. Well, I mean, from an outsider, I would say that it's good that anyone other than Bayern wins it. Yeah. Maybe I'd draw it's the a- line at, at Leipzig. Almost anyone but Bayern. Yeah, almost anyone almost but Bayern. Anyone but Bayern. <laughs> Leipzig being, you know, 
yeah. the team. Like, I could just about live with Bayer Leverkusen winning the winning the Bundesliga by into the fact that they've spectacularly failed to do so in the last minute. It's not on brand for the Bundesliga for Leverkusen to win. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, you literally wrote, though, you didn't write the book on this. You wrote a chapter of a book about how Leverkusen don't win stuff. Who would have thought it would be them to break the stranglehold of Bayern? But maybe that's exactly what it needs. That's exactly the sort of thing that is going to disrupt the Bundesliga. Yeah, totally. I mean, obviously, Bayern Leverkusen are, in many, many ways, they are a traditional club. You know, they're a works club, they're a factory club, and there's nothing wrong with that model of football club. It's a perfectly prominent way of, of doing things. You know, big company sets up big factory in small town and sets up a football club so that the workforce can enjoy themselves doing something over the weekend. That's all good. Perfectly good. It's the huge amounts of money that they've piled in <laughs> to inflate their position that is where people get, get their noses out of joint. But what they've done is they've historically carried along being these kind of sort of like heroic failures, finishing second, getting knocked out, you know, get, getting beaten finals and stuff like that, which has kind of given them, you know, that made them somewhat harmless. But Xabi Alonso has come in. He's clearly an accomplished coach. And he, he came in, he turned it, turned them around, well, it took him a few weeks to turn it around, but he turned them around and made them an absolute force last season. This season, they've gone even better. And now, yeah, I mean, like they look really, really good for it. And it's going to be ironic that the league that holds 50 plus one, you know, in such high esteem, despite the activities of certain people within the DFL who would like to see that change, you know, that it will be a non-51 plus one club that breaks the back of Bayern Munich's domination, albeit perhaps one season. So I suppose, Jan, this lends credence to people who would say that what the Bundesliga needs is outside investment. They need to be able to get money in. And if the fans don't like it, well, you know, the fans aren't the ones who are going to be paying the uh, transfer fees for these players or paying the wages of the players because we need extra money coming in, don't we? I suppose that's what they'd say. To be fair, I think that, that any of the, the big leagues across Europe will look at the success and the amount of revenue that the Premier League generates for, for itself and want to want to get a, a bite of that because they're all fishing in the same pond. They're, still, they're all fishing for eyeballs um, from some of the bigger markets. So I think that Germany's got a, a great league. It, it's not a farmer's league, and we all know that. We're, we're only joking when we say that, really, listeners. We um, don't say it. But, but personally, just on the Leverkusen thing, I, I think it's, it is great for the Bundesliga brand to have something different. You know, you'd expect that to come from Dortmund, wouldn't you? If you're if you're just looking from the outside, but to to have it uh, come from outside of you know the, the the two most recognizable names, if you like, in the in the division, um, I think is a is a good thing. But just to answer your point in a round account, roundabout kind of way, it seems like it would be logical for uh, the Bundesliga to look for outside investments so they can compete on the biggest stage, which is currently clearly the most successful. In terms of financial um, and the financial side of th- things, is the is the, is the Premier League, and so if you if you have to open your arms and let the let the devil in to help you do that, then maybe is that the way of doing it? I don't know. Well, it's, of course it's not, but it, it is a way, and of course the people who will be opening the doors will be the ones who are also taking a hefty wedge as well for opening those doors and allowing the devils to come in. But you can see how clubs would be getting lent on by things like Sky Deutschland to say, look, 
you've got to mix this up a bit. Otherwise, you know, we're not going to be able to charge people lots and lots of money to watch our product. If your best players start leaving to earn better money somewhere else, or if you've got one club that hoards all the talent. There are lots of stakeholders in football, whether or not there are people who actually own part of a club or people who would just have a love for a club. You have a stake in there, whether it's not, it doesn't have to be financial, but money dominates everything. And that's, and until we uh, smash capitalism, that's not going to change things, is it? But Terry... That's yeah, my you, line, isn't it, Graham? Yeah, well, no, I, I, I have to say it so you don't have to, that's all. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I suppose, Terry, I mean, because we, we've had this weekend, we've seen this, I mentioned it very, very briefly earlier, but, but chocolate coins being thrown on the pitch by fans in Germany as a protest, just to say, look, we're still here. We're, we're the ones providing a lot of the show here. We're, we're part of brand Bundesliga. I wonder if you can expand a bit on what they're actually protesting about. Yeah, so last year there was an attempt to bring in outside investment from private equity firms to invest into the Bundesliga to the tune of, I think it was perhaps as much as three billion uh, pounds or, or euros, I should say. I may be wrong about that, but it, it was a significant amount. It was voted down quite narrowly by the Bundesliga clubs. There's been a revised attempt this year to do the same. A small number of people within the DFL are, are pushing this, one of them being the CEO of Borussia Dortmund, Aki Watzke, um, but also the Bayern Munich people as well are quite uh, quite big on this. And this is giving you an indication perhaps as to where the idea might fall down. And the principle behind it, of course, is that the Bundesliga needs more money in order to be competitive. But the argument against that is, is that it doesn't necessarily change the competitive balance within the Bundesliga because everybody's getting money, including Bayern Munich. I think what you really want to be looking at if you're worried about the Bundesliga being not competitive, then you need to do something about Bayern Munich. They need to stop being you know, so good at doing the football and earning all the money that comes with it. And there might well be things that you can do, um, but that's perhaps an argument for another. You can look at, you look at, look at the brand partners and stuff like that and say, well, actually, you could stop taking Qatari money, for example, and then that way you'd have less money and then that might redress the balance anyway. So there's, there's this plan afoot at the moment to do this. I don't know when the proposal will be, but it must be quite soon. And this last weekend, there was a combined process about a number a, 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 along a number of Bundesliga clubs who threw chocolate coins onto pitches during football matches. And the purpose of this was, one, to demonstrate their feelings about the, the plan and that they are against it. But also, I think that there was a there's a more practical purpose as well, and that was to deliberately slow down the play, hold up the game. The game would have to be stopped while people, nice people, went out there and they collected up all the coins and took them away again, and thereby reducing the value of the property by saying, "Oh well, you know, this 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 is so." The TV schedules are scratching their head, going, "Oh God, you know, well, this game's going to get extended, it's going to go on for longer. Very very inconvenient. It's boring to watch." And so I would suggest a very, very effective process. And that's the way the conversation is going. I think they're making it abundantly clear, the fans to their owners or to their to the to the presidents and, and, and the supervisory boards and the people who make the decisions that this is their view and that we then you should not be voting for this. Um, and we'll see how successful that is you know, when they come to decide whether or not to do it. Mm. Do you think this a lot of the problems in the Bundesliga at the moment are down to the fact that a lot of the traditional teams aren't very good at the moment. A lot of the, <laughs> the, the traditional well-supported teams, clubs like Schalke, like Hamburg, both of which aren't even in the top flight, but they must bring a lot of subscribers along to Sky Deutschland. Do you think that teams like Hoffenheim, Augsburg, 
um, Leipzig even, how much fan base they have and whether or not those sides being in the top flight is not helping the Bundesliga as a brand. Yes. In general, I think that those historic football, traditional football clubs that, that are in the doldrums are hindering the brand and therefore making it easier, I think, to get through you know, decisions like this and, and proposals like this. These clubs have got the power. There's probably a distribution of sharing rights or voting rights amongst the two divisions. When you've got Schalke and Hamburg, Hertha BSC, of course, in the second division, that I think probably affects the value of, of the Bundesliga brand, certainly domestically, that these clubs really ought to be in the, in the first division from a commercial point of view. And that, I think that then makes them susceptible to ideas that I think are controversial and not consistent with 50 plus one and are clubs that are agreeable with these ideas. Yeah. So like Leverkusen, Leipzig, Augsburg, you know, Hoffenheim would say, well, yeah, we're absolutely on board with this. We're capital. Yeah, you're capitalism. We're, we're, we're on board with this. So it makes them vulnerable. And the fans of those clubs, like Hamburg fans know that their club is poorly run and has been poorly run for nearly 20 years. So they know that if you give them more money, they're just going to spend it on even more magic beans and not <laughs> actually put it to any use. And, and, and if anything, they'll end up going backwards because they'll, they'll just end up messing it up and possibly incurring even more debts with the more money. You know, more money, more problems in this situation. And Bayern are going, yeah, nice one, because they know how to spend their money. They're very good at spending their money. They almost always tend to make the right choice, at least up until very recently. They should have lost the Bundesliga last year. They may well lose it this year. But up until that point, pretty much everything they'd ever done was right. So they will be happy to take that extra money. And I can just see them scampering off over the distance if something like this happens. And I don't get how people don't get that. Well, I get how fans don't get it. I don't get how the owners don't get it. And my suspicion is, is that they're absolutely terrified. They've got no money. The coffers are bare. And they desperately need some money to address their debts. That's what I suspect that the, the reality of it is. is and, and that's the scariest part of it. Do we think that the 50 plus one thing in Germany has had its day? You know, you can look at it as a kind of virtuous way of doing things, and, and it does. It's a nice contrast to the the cut and thrust capitalism that you see in the Premier League, um, which is only about money. But do you think that if you were to put that aside, and you were to allow more inward investment, not just in in the league, but in in the way that the clubs and in and in the clubs, I mean to say, that it would that enable them to take that step up so they could compete on the global stage for eyeballs. Well, it, it always comes back to what is the value of your investment in the club? If you're buying a ticket for a club, and it, does that allow you ownership? Does that give you ownership apart from a very sort of spiritual ownership of a club? I'm sure the TV companies would say, well, we're giving more money than the people turning up through the turnstiles. Where's our 50% of the club? Where's our input in how they make their decisions? And I'm sure they do have input in in that. But I would say that 50 plus one works well because it keeps clubs in check. It means you shouldn't need things like profitability and sustainability rules. But I mean, yeah, you, you probably still do that because as, as Terry pointed out, a lot of these clubs are not run very well. They're not run very, very well at all. But at least they don't get their ground sold out from underneath them. And hopefully they're not going to be run into the ground. But there, there are clubs in serious, serious financial problems over there, isn't there, Terry? Yeah, absolutely. But also there are clubs, that, there are 50 plus one clubs that have done extremely well. Yeah. 
Union Berlin, a terrible season right now, but they are fan-owned. Freiburg are completely fan-owned and they've done brilliantly. And so you can see what can be achieved and what the potential is if you run your club well. The counter-argument is they will say, well, does it it matter what model and ownership model you have? As long as the club is being run by good people and by efficient people, does it matter? And there's a strong argument. And there's no question that 50 plus one is, is facing challenges. You know, its strongest proponents are also the biggest basket cases of football clubs. And you're right, Graham, after we've smashed capitalism, this will be a different conversation. But until we smash capitalism, yet broadcast partners are going to be saying, well, again, where's our the value of our of this property is declining because you've got an unbalanced league and all of your biggest clubs are in the second division. It's like, what are you going to do about that? And 50 plus one has to rise to that challenge and it has to come up with solutions. Otherwise, you get. People coming along and saying, well, we'll get a private equity firm in and they'll say, yeah, we'll come in. We'll give you a few billion quid. No, no, we won't want you to do anything. Oh, by the way, just to increase value, how about if we just like increase the league, say, to 20 clubs? Or maybe we could increase the number of fixtures. Why don't we just change the schedule a bit? Perhaps we could have some games over Christmas because they're really popular in England. I'm sure they go where it down very well. And this is cutting into the cultural fabric of the sport and is quite serious. And like this will not be lost on those people. But at the same time... Fans and proponents of 50 plus one can't just sit there and say 50 plus one is better and that's the end of it. They have to respond to the challenges that they are facing. So the answer to your question directly, Jan, is possibly. Nothing is written in stone, but I would say that 50 plus one is under the most peril that it's ever, ever been right now. And this is at the time where fans in England are hooking into the idea of 50 plus one. This is something that could save football over here as far as the fans are concerned. It's something that comes with its own set of issues. But as we we seem to have come to the idea is that it's better than what you've got when you've just got one idiot with a dwindling amount of money in charge of a football club. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you've got lots of experience about owners and magic beans, haven't you? Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've kind of made a living out of it on this on this pod, just talking about one club <laughs> that I just, because of an accident of birth, haven't been born there. Really good um, points you made there, Terry, on that 50 plus one is in in the greatest peril it's ever been in. It's interesting as well, Graham, what you said as well, that English fans will look at the 50 plus one and think, oh, and we'll look at the madness here. You go out of business trying to stay in the Premier League or trying to get there. Um, and when you do get there, um, it costs so much to try and keep up, even though there's so much money sloshing around uh, that you end up getting points taken off you. And, you know, we've seen that. We might see that with two clubs this season. The fact that it's the richest league in the world it doesn't mean that everyone in there is rolling in cash. You know, as with all capitalist ventures, it's the guys at the top that just make all the money. And, you know, if anybody in Germany thinks that this is the right way of going, then you know, clearly, I just don't think I don't think it is because, you know, once you let the devil in, he'll tear the house down, won't he? So our message to English fans is find out where you can get chocolate coins from. That's what I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, plentiful in Germany, I would suggest. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. do a deal. I'm sure. Get them shipped over. Yeah. It's the land of chocolate, isn't it? Uh, it is the land of chance. Yeah, well, yeah, until until the, the, the Germans, being as ruthlessly efficient as they are, develop their chocolate coin picker-upper, like they've got their tennis ball picker-upper. <laughs> I think it's very interesting what you were saying there, Terry, about expanding the Bundesliga. 
at a time when UEFA are expanding their games as well. So you're going to get the group stages of the UEFA competitions next year is going to be 10 games rather than six. So teams that are in Europe are going to be playing more games anyway. France have, have gone down from 20 to 18 this season. I should say I'm speculating that they will expand the league. I am speculating. But I believe that that is what will happen. The investors would say, we, we want we want more product, please, for the money that we're paying. Mm. So, and, I, and that is the easiest way to do that, increase yeah. the number of fixtures. Oh, certainly. But I mean, like I said, I mean, if you want to do something about Bayern Munich's dominance in the Bundesliga, then you need to talk to Bayern Munich. <laughs> and ideally, talk to their fans and say, look, what can we do to address this balance in a way that's fair and just and sporting mm. and find a solution. Mm. I wonder if what's uh, happened in France with the reduction in the games is a reaction to the fact that they, they can't generate the TV revenue that they once had. It seems to have gone down very well anyway, as far as they're concerned. Of course, as well, you only have to share the TV revenue amongst 18 clubs instead of 20 clubs as well, which obviously makes it a little bit more incentivising, doesn't it, really? Speaking of French TV money. <laughs> yes, indeed. I wonder if I've picked any French games to go in the box set this weekend. Let's have a look. Well, in fact, I have. I've got one on Saturday night. I've got Marseille-Monaco. Um, we need it in this winter weather. Let's go down somewhere lovely and sunny down to the south of France for a game. That's going to be up against an AFCON knockout game as well. So I'll be putting two of the round of 16 into the box set this weekend, along with two FA Cup matches. We've got Ipswich Town versus Mason United. And yeah, and a Black Country derby, West Brom versus Wolves in the fourth round. That's a cracker, that one, isn't it, for a Sunday lunchtime? Yeah, it should be. The FA Cup chucks up some great ties, and that will be a really good one. And we've got a local derby in the Bundesliga, Frankfurt versus Mainz from either end of the table. But local derbies, form goes out the window, doesn't it? Certainly does. Uh, second one in a row for Frankfurt because they played Darmstadt last week, 2-2 draw, and Darmstadt, a, a dumpster, so dumpster. <laughs> so yeah, so it just goes to show you how tricky it could be. Uh, Eintracht Frankfurt probably are missing Omar Marmouche, of course, who uh, uh, we've mentioned once or twice in dispatches here, who's off at AFCON scoring goals. Mm, yes, uh, AFCON still goes on. Actually, while we've been talking, it's been going on this evening. Equatorial Guinea winning 4-0 against Ivory Coast. Ooh. Ooh. Oh, my God. Yeah. The hosts. Oh, yes. That is a turn-up. They've only got three points now. Whether or not that will be enough to get them through into the knockout stages. But, yeah, Equatorial Guinea end up winning the group. Stone me. Plenty of fun going on there. And, uh, yes, listeners, if you haven't caught them already, Cape Verde. Yeah, the Blue Sharks. Oh, yeah, they're the ones to watch right now. And if you can catch some of the highlights of the games that they've been playing so far, there's some absolutely corking goals in them. But if you want to see what we put in our box set this weekend, then get along to sofpodcast.com, hit on the link for the weekend box set, and subscribe. Or you can read it on our blog. Seven games for you to watch between Friday and Sunday. It's free! It's free! It's free. Still free. Still free. We moved to a new home and it's still free. I mean, Substack is still saying, oh, do you want people to pay for this? I say, no, no. People need this for free. What do you think I am? Some kind of breadhead? This is how we smash capitalism, Graham. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. One small step at a time, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. This is how we do it, isn't it, Terry? You got it, comrade. <laughs> but that's what we have time for this week, because we knock off early. We don't do an hour-long podcast. <laughs> We're not suckers. We're not wage slaves. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, podcasts of the world unite. Come on, give up after an hour for an hour or so. 
Um, but that's all we have time for this week. So from me, Graham Sippy, from Jan Bilton and from Terry DeVille, it's goodbye. 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 We are at Sound of Football on X, Blue Sky and Instagram, so feel free to get in touch there or head to our website, sofpodcast.com. Don't forget to rate and review us. But also as well, next season there's going to be more UEFA games, so that's going to get rid of the winter break. I think they're getting rid of the winter break in Scotland because of the extra UEFA games, but why Scotland? I wouldn't know because... It wouldn't really affect them at all. Mm. Seems kind of optimistic, that doesn't it? <laughs> it does a bit. Yeah. You know when you go down a motorway and it's loads and loads of traffic, <laughs> and then they have those indicator boards that tell you what speed, what the maximum speed is. Yeah. <laughs> and you're travelling a little five mile an hour, and it says fifty. That's that's that. That's that. that, that is. Is. I think that's exactly what that is. <laughs>